Welcome to another inspiring message recorded at Rivers Church. I was reading about an Amish family. You know, the Amish don't believe in progress. They ride around in horse buggies and everything's done by hand and so on. And they had to visit a big city for the very, very first time. Never been into the big city, always lived on the farm. And uh, they traveled into the big city with the horse and buggy and stopped outside this big hotel. Well, they left Ma in the buggy and dad and his son went into the hotel to reception. As they were standing in the queue waiting to be served, they watched as a old lady hobbled past them and she went over to a lift. They'd not seen a lift before. She pressed a button, the doors opened and she went in and the doors closed and they stood there shocked a moment later, the doors opened and out came a very attractive woman strutting. <laughs> Without moving, the Amish man touched his son and said, boy, go get Ma. <laughs> How many of you realize this morning, life transformation isn't that easy? We wish it was. You could just go into a lift and come out different. Now, there's a process that we go through and God takes us through life-transforming processes. If you study the scriptures in John chapter three, Nicodemus encountered Jesus and experienced life transformation as Jesus spoke to him about being born again. This good religious man. But Jesus didn't just meet with good people and transform their lives. In John chapter four, he goes and sits at a well with a woman who's messed up her life. The one good, the one bad, but both experience life transformation. And this morning I want us to read quite a lengthy passage of scripture, but I've entitled the message, Transformation That Leads to Satisfaction. You see, God doesn't just want to change you because he's annoyed with you. He wants to satisfy you as he changes you. And satisfaction can only be found in Christ. Can you say amen? Now we're gonna read a lengthy passage of scripture and I wanted to make this comment. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, said this about the Bible. So if you think we're reading a lot of scripture this morning, this is what he said about the Bible. He said the word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend a lion. All you have to do is let the lion loose and the lion will defend itself. Visit many good books, but live in the Bible. How many of you know that's good advice today? And I'm a great and avid reader, but we need to live in the Bible. And so we're going to read this story of transformation that leads to satisfaction. This woman that encounters Jesus goes through a transformation process and a discovery process, and so do Jesus' disciples, and so does a city go through some discovery about who he is. So let's read from John chapter four and verse four. Now, the scripture says that he had to go through Samaria. Notice that he, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was, this human being, from the journey sat down by the well. It was about noon, middle of the day, hottest part of the day. Don't forget that. We'll come back. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? 
His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew. I want you to notice that. You are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Some translations say they have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is, who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. They believed living water was like running water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Now, notice again, she first says, you are a Jew. Then she asks, are you? You are? Are you? Greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Satisfaction. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Now suddenly the conversation changes. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, like Elizabeth Taylor, and the man you now have is not your husband. So six men in her life. Now, why did Jesus do this? We, we, we pick up here and see, the fact is you have had five husbands. Oh, what you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain. Now she takes him on a detour. But you Jews claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. She's talking about place when in front of her is a person. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. Is it possible to worship what you do not know? I think a lot of people do. We worship what we know for salvation is of the Jews. Very important phrase. In other words, you're very sincere and you're very religious, but you're wrong. He goes on to say here, yet a time is coming and has come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. All still with me? God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, valuable object, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to him, could someone have brought him food? 
My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. In other words, people can be reached if you would just look. We're so busy doing our lives and eating and drinking, Jesus is saying, hey, people need to be saved, and they will be saved if you talk to them. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. John the Baptist was near there, by the way, and he was preaching and preparing the way for Jesus. So Jesus was referring to this. Someone preached, and now the spark that they're experiencing with this woman is as a result of him. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with him, and he stayed two days. One more piece. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Quite a chunk of scripture, but a very important passage. There's several things that happen in here. There's a conversation then there's a confession, then there's conversion. And that's what we need to look for when we reach people. We need to sit down and converse and hope that people will share with us so that ultimately there can be conversion. But there's seven things I want to look at today because the woman and the disciples and the city went on a journey of discovery. And you don't just come to Jesus and, 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 and meet him. There's, there's usually a journey of discovery. And some people stop at a certain point and don't go beyond to discover who Jesus really is. And uh, this woman is sitting at this well. The Bible says Jesus had to go through Samaria. Why did he have to? Because there was someone in need of salvation, someone in need of satisfaction. And Jesus, compelled by the Spirit, went through this place. It was noon, the middle of the day. People don't draw water at noon. They do it early in the morning and late in the evening. But it seems that this woman went to draw at noon because of her lifestyle. She was probably ostracized by the women of the city. You're a man taker. You're a cougar. We got to watch out for you, baby. So she had to go at noon when no one was around. She's a rejected woman. She's messed up her life. She's unsatisfied going from man to man, looking for someone to fill the hole in her soul. And here she sits and along comes Jesus, a man. Interesting, she was open to men but had no women friends. God knows exactly who to put with you in order to reach you. Isn't that true? And Jesus, tired as he was, this human, this God man, tired as he was, was not too tired to sit down and talk to this woman and engage her and reach her. I, I wonder if we're too tired or too busy to reach people. Rivers Church's mission statement is worship, reach, connect, volunteer. It's very important that we reach people. And here this woman goes on a journey of progression, uh, of discovery and a progression 
where she discovers who Jesus is. Also the 12. So let's look here. Number one, she discovers a strange Jewish male. <laughs> Who's this? He's just a Jewish male. What's he doing here? And the Samaritans, you know, if you're going to reach a Samaritan, you should really use a Samaritan, but God will use people opposite to you to reach you. And uh, the Samaritans were part Jew, part Gentile. They, uh, they had developed their own religion during the captivity of the northern tribes, and uh, they worshipped uh, different things. They only had the first five books of the Old Testament. They didn't have the rest of the Old Testament. They worshipped at Mount Gerizim, and they didn't believe they needed to go to Jerusalem. And the, gen uh, the, the, the genuine Jew would look down on a Samaritan. They saw them as a lesser race. They saw them as inferior. And especially for a man to speak to a woman and a Samaritan was considered ridiculous. It was, especially for a rabbi. But Jesus, tired as he was, he puts aside cultural barriers. He puts aside racial barriers. He puts aside cultural norms. And he sits down and he converses. And she discovers him as a Jewish male. Are you all with me? And we need to put aside cultural barriers in order to reach people. Sit down with people that are different to you, that have a different religion to you, and converse with them. You never know what God can do. They'll initially discover you as a Christian, as someone who knows Jesus, but later on they'll discover Jesus. And we need to do this, and this is what Jesus did. You need to understand the hostility. The Pharisees so hated the Samaritans that they prayed that women would, uh, Samaritan women would not be raised in the resurrection. And Jesus, uh, when the Pharisees wanted to insult him, notice this in John's gospel, John chapter eight. It says the Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon possessed? So if you wanted to insult someone, you called him a Samaritan. Jesus goes to the insulted, the marginalized, he goes to another gender, another religion, and he has a conversation, tired as he is. That's the calling on the church. We need to be reaching church, and we need to have... Uh, some interaction. The Bible says that Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Well, his disciples went and bought food in a Samaritan city, so they did have some dealings. But clearly here, Jesus sits down and, uh, and converses. Now, I want you to notice something when reaching people. Jesus, when he conversed with Nicodemus and with the woman at the well, he didn't have a sales pitch. He just conversed. And you, I can't reach people. Of course you can. Just have a conversation. The way to relate to people and to reach people is to have a conversation about something relevant to them. Jesus spoke to Nicodemus about the new birth. He spoke to this woman about living water. And there's a way to reach people despite the differences. Mark Batterson, the pastor from uh, uh, Washington, D.C., said, if Jesus were living in our culture, he would probably hang out in coffee houses. Uh, their church owns a coffee shop in uh, D.C., and they spend time in the coffee shop having conversations with people. That's what Jesus did. But this woman only discovers a strange Jewish male. Now, notice we read the text. She has a second discovery. Number two, she discovers he thinks he's greater than Jacob. So you're not just a strange Jewish male, but you think you're somebody better. And she discovers that he thinks he's got something. She probably thought he has other wells. Gee, Jacob was great. He gave us this well. And uh, Joseph 
he's buried here. They took his bones and buried it there. So it's a religious place. It's a place that's practical. You can get water. But how many of you know you can be in a church that meets your practical needs and still be spiritually dead? There are a lot of churches in the world that are focusing now on purely giving people water, giving them food. And they say that's the job of the church. No, it isn't. She was at a religious, practical place, but she was spiritually dead. We have to give people Jesus, the living water. And so here she discovers that he's greater than Jacob. And Jesus said to her, you know, I can give you water that will satisfy your thirst. In fact, people are thirsty. Do you know people are thirsty in hell? The Bible says that the rich man, when he ended up in hell, he looked up into the bosom of Abraham in Luke chapter 16. And it says he called, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water to cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. People are thirsty now and they don't meet Jesus, they're thirsty then. We need to have a thirst that's for, for God and not just a thirst for material things, not just thirst for sex, for relationships, because those things can't satisfy your thirst. How many of you remember when Jesus was crucified on the cross? The Bible says that he cried out, I'm thirsty. Do you remember that? He thirsted on the cross so that we don't need to be thirsty for living water. They say the definition of thirst is a craving, a craving for fluids. When your body is deprived of water, the brain signals thirst needs to be quenched. And I think people have got a thirst and a craving in their lives for, for something much more than material things. How many, how many of you know you can buy things and they don't satisfy you? Buy houses, buy cars, buy shoes. You can have one person after another, but there's always some imperfection. But the Bible tells us in Isaiah 44 and 55 that there's a river of refreshing. Come to me all who are thirsty. It's not talking about water. It's talking about that thirst in your soul. That craving that can only be satisfied by God. That's why Revelation 21, there's a river that's going to flow from God that will quench the thirst of the nations. He's talking about something spiritual, not just something natural. And there's a thirst in us. That's why our church is called Rivers, because it quenches the thirst. And it's living water. It just keeps flowing, keeps flowing, keeps flowing. It never stops. It keeps growing and flowing. And wherever rivers goes, there's growth. Are you getting this this morning? In Kailami and in Santon. So she discovers her greater than Jacob, but Jesus is drawing her further on. How many of you know there's such a desperate thirst in our lives? I was reading this interesting book called The Progress Paradox by Greg Easterbrook. And... Uh, he says in there that the world is, is getting better and more comfortable, but people are more and more depressed and unhappy. So technology is improving, comfort's improving, but we're more and more depressed. He says this, out of the world's population, plus minus 500 million people across the world in different countries are living the American dream. They have a car, cell phone, lovely home. They've got all the luxuries, toaster, kettle, Across the world in different countries, about 500 million people are living this American dream, their standard of living. They can travel and go away on holidays, but very few people are satisfied amongst those 500 million. Very few people are satisfied with life itself. Isn't that interesting? And they say that when you are poor 
and you're struggling financially you're at the bottom of the pile, when you start earning money and you start getting out of debt and you've got enough money to save and to dress nicely, they say the improvement is quite significant. That once you get to middle class, you get to that level, you, 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 they interviewed very rich people and they found that very, very rich people are only marginally happy than middle class people. The improvement from poverty to middle class is big, but if you get masses of money from middle class to there, you're only marginally happy, happier than middle class people. He talks about this in his book, and um, he quotes a psychologist who is a president, past president of the Psychological Association in America, a man called Martin Seligman, and he says Martin Seligman gives four reasons why depression is on the increase in our society, even though material blessing is, is, and the standard of living and the lifestyle is improving, he says there are four reasons why depression, depression is increasing. Number one, he says, individualism. People are no longer focused on the we, they're focused on the me. And the more self-centered you become, the less unhappy you are. The less happy you are, sorry. The more you give of yourself, that's why Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. But there's this individualism where it's all about me and uh, the whole selfie generation where we promote ourselves, he says that causes depression. Because if we're not accepted and we're not made number one, then we feel inferior. Second thing is, he says, the self-esteem craze. The last 60 years, the world has told you to believe in yourself and you're amazing. But he says people who believe that, who are stupid, dumb, lazy, and messed up are declaring something that they know inside is not true. And you can say, well, I'm gonna go into that interview and I'm gonna tell them and, and I'm gonna be all confident. But on the inside, you know, you're a mixed up, crazy, stupid person that's in debt and your family's in a mess. No self-esteem is gonna make you get past that. You need some help. So as a result, you get psychosis because you, 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 you're living in this crazy mindset. And then he says, thirdly, victimology politics. The political system around the world tells you that you deserve a house, that you deserve everything, that you deserve medical, that you deserve to be looked after by government and that you're a victim of big business and you're, you're a victim of rich people and shame. So you start to feel sorry for yourself. Is this making sense? And then lastly, he says, and he says these are the four key things he identifies, runaway consumerism. We just keep buying and buying and buying and it doesn't fill the hole in our soul and we're still unsatisfied and we're still thirsty. And Greg Easterbrook says this. He says, rising Western living standards have not increased happiness. They are instead accompanied by waves of depression because many people are living the life, filling their lives with things, with sex, with travel, but they're still deeply unhappy because there's an empty vacuum in their lives that can only be filled by Jesus. So she discovers a Jewish male. She discovers someone greater than Jacob, but she's on a journey of discovery. Os Guinness, the UK author who lives in America, said Jesus made clear that the kingdom of God is organic and not organizational. It grows like a seed. It works like leaven secretly, invisibly, surprisingly, and irresistibly. You know, in this meeting this morning, in Kalami and here, you could be sitting in this meeting and Jesus is revealed to you as just a man. Then you discover he's more than a man. 
It's a journey of discovery. Stay open because there's more to be discovered. Number three, she discovers he's a prophet. She discovers that he knows all about her. Isn't it interesting that he knows everything about her, but he doesn't condemn her? Hmm? That's what prophets do. That's what prophetic ministry does. It looks at the society and culture, and it evaluates it and says, this is wrong with our country. This is wrong with our culture. This is what families need. It speaks into it, not to be negative, not to be critical, but to point out sin, because a prophet shows you yourself. He doesn't just tell you, hey, I know all about you. Ooh, 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 that's weird, eh? Ooh, you must be spiritual, eh? Ooh. No, no, no. He shows you yourself so that you can see your need. Then you can be saved because there needs to be conviction of sin before there can be conversion. You don't just say, oh, he's a Jewish man. Oh, he's, he's a lot better than Jacob. Oh, okay, he's, a, he's one of the prophets. No, he's not. No, 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 he's much more than that. His role as prophet is to say, I know all about you, yet I don't condemn you. I come to show you yourself so that you can discover who I really am. And we need to discover Jesus as prophet. Many people just want to discover Jesus as teacher. Oh, he's a teacher. Yeah, I like coming to church. Gee, it's helpful. No, he wants to show you who you are. They may have seen who you are. You turn to him and have your thirst quenched. Remember she ran into the city and said, come, see a man who told me all I ever did. I, I'm not sure I would go and tell people, hey, this guy knows all about me, eh? He told me I did this, this, this. Yes, eh? No, 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 they knew everything she did, but they condemned her. That's why she had to come at noon. He knew everything she did, but it was to show her that she needed him. Are you with me? The church must not miss the plan of God in being too nice to people. Sometimes God needs to give you a word of knowledge for someone so they can discover him. Kirk Cameron, the actor, said this. He said, Jesus did not get stuck in intellectual arguments with people. He did not go for the intellect. He went for the conscience. He spoke to that part of the person that knows the difference between right and wrong instinctively. Jesus touched her mind. He touched her emotions, but he touched her conscience and he discovered her he, she discovered him as a prophet, and then she was ready to receive Christ. You know, Elizabeth Taylor spoke about her life and her marriage, eight times married, and you know, she, she told each one of them, I won't keep you long. <laughs> she said this, my troubles all started because I have a woman's body and a child's emotions. You know, you can look amazing on the outside, you can be incredibly attractive, you can be on television, you can be an actor or actress, but you know what? Jesus needs to fill something in you that is immature. He needs to bring healing, and he doesn't define us by our failures. Um, it, it, it's interesting that when, when he goes from being a Jewish man to being a, a, a greater than Jacob to being a prophet, she takes him on a detour. Oh, uh, 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 our, our religion says we must go to this place, but you guys say we must go to this place. It's interesting how people like to talk about the difference between religions and the different things, that, the, the, the differences in religion instead of talking about a changed life. Today, if you're in the meeting, don't go on a detour. Stay with this man who's more than a prophet who wants to change your life. And Jesus here says the Bible is of the Jews. Uh, salvation is of the Jews. Not every religion is correct. We apologize for that if it offends you, but it's the truth. Jesus said it. 
And when Jesus says things, and then he dies and he rises from the dead, I reckon I'll believe him, rather than someone who's still dead. You see, you've got, to, you've got to realize something this morning, church. Hear me, Kalami. This might offend you today, but false worship has three components to it. I want you to look with me on the screen. It's selective. It chooses what it wants. It's ignorant. In other words, you don't know what you worship, Jesus told her. And then it's superstitious. Oh, I can go to that place, or I can go to this place. And Jesus said, no, you can't be selective. You can't just worship what's in your own imagination and be ignorant of who God is. And you can't be superstitious. Oh, I do this, so I'm spiritual. No, no, you need to worship the true God in spirit and in truth, and you need to come to Jesus, the only Messiah. Now, in today's political world, that is highly offensive, but it's biblical. And Jesus takes people on a journey of discovery. Most people know Jesus is a Jewish man. They know that he was greater than Jacob. They know him as a prophet, but they've not gone on the full journey of discovery. So they have a false kind of worship. Number four, are you with me? She discovers him as the Christ. She discovers him as the Christ. Jesus was prophet, priest, and king. And here he comes as savior. She knew that he'd come as savior. She had learned it somewhere. Maybe there was a seed planted in her life, but she knew when he came, he would be the God man and he would know everything about her and he would save and that hole in her soul would be filled, and so she comes uh, and discovers, man, this is the one I've been looking for. Runs into the city and tells everyone, um, I've got issues, but he doesn't condemn me. He knows all about me, and I can sense his love. And it's so important that we realize that people have got issues, and they try and fill the hole in their soul, but Jesus comes to be the Savior. I was reading about Kim Kardashian when she first got married, in case some of you have forgotten some of her background, was married for 72 days to Chris Humphreys. 72 days. Britney Spears takes the record for 55 hours. But people are trying to fill the hole in their soul. You know what they need? They need Messiah. Then relationships take their rightful place. And this woman discovers him as Messiah. She has a conversion. She runs back to the city, leaves a water pot behind. Why? Because it's not important anymore. I found something much better. Number six, sorry, number five. Are you still with me? The disciples now, watch this, here's a journey. So she goes from Jewish man to Jacob, to prophet, to Messiah. And she's transformed, runs back to the city and tells these people she's not even ashamed. But the disciples come back, remember? They've been shopping and the disciples discover ministry as satisfying. Jesus is sitting there without food and they say, hey, have something to eat. And what does he say? I have food of which you know nothing. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. I want to encourage you, don't think of full-time ministry as a grind, as negative. It's extremely tiring. It's like farming. It's tiring, but it's not negative. It satisfies. That's why you need to be a volunteer, because when you give and you volunteer, you find satisfaction. When you just sit in church as a spectator, you'll eventually become critical, because the messages and the worship are not in themselves satisfying. You need to receive, and then you need to give, and when you do, you'll discover ministry as wonderful and as satisfying. Many people think buying things will satisfy them. No, it won't. Serving others will satisfy you. 
Jesus gave his life for us. He said, he who loses his life will find it. Have you discovered that? Get involved at Rivers Church. Become a partner. Begin to serve. And when you do, you'll discover that it's not a burden, but it's actually a joy. Life can't be satisfied by eating, shopping, and spending. Can you say amen? Even though you probably wish you had money to spend. Are you all still with me this morning? Is this helping anybody? Number six, the sixth discovery is this. A city discovered Jesus through a testimony. Did you know that a testimony is a powerful thing? This woman didn't have any spiritual knowledge. She hadn't been to Bible school. She had very little spiritual knowledge, but her testimony was powerful enough for a whole city to come and see who Jesus was. Don't underestimate your testimony. Oh, I can't talk to them. They'll have me, they'll tie me in knots. No, no, just tell them what Jesus has done for you. Tell them that you thought he was a Jewish man. You thought he was someone great. You discovered he was more than just a prophet. He's actually the savior of the world. And this is what he's done for me. And this is how he satisfied me. Come and see. That's all you need to do. A whole city was transformed. And she wasn't even a theological student. She wasn't the mayor. She was a sinful woman that had six men in her life. Are you hearing me today? She went and said basically, he knows all about me, but he loves me nonetheless. Isn't that what we sang today? One of the songs we sang. And so during that short time that Jesus was there, he began to minister to that city through her testimony. And uh, the people there began to discover him. And uh, they then sat under his word and they said, no, we don't believe just because of her testimony. We've now come to encounter you ourselves and we believe you are the savior of the world. Isn't that interesting that Jesus himself went from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria? And he tells us, you will be my witnesses in the book of Acts from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria. He wants us to be touching the whole world, not just our little circle. And the way you do that is by giving your testimony. You share your testimony. In Kalami, you've got empty seats with VIP on them. You need to recognize those seats need to be filled. Give your testimony to people. Invite them to church and put them in that seat and then they'll discover for themselves who Jesus is. He's not just a Jewish man. He's not just a greater than Jacob. He's not just a significant leader. He's not just a prophet. He's Messiah. And then as you begin to bring them to church, they start serving and they find serving is satisfying. And then they start to give their testimony and the whole cycle goes on. Are you with me this morning? Number seven, this is important. The disciples discover a harvest in an unlikely place. Jesus says to them, you say four months to harvest, but I tell you, the fields are ripe unto harvest. How many of you know it's easy to think that certain people in certain places are not open to Jesus? Uh, people in Santon have got a lot of money. They're rich. They're not interested in Jesus. No, they are. You must have a mindset that realizes that the harvest is plentiful and that if you share your testimony, Jesus can come into their lives. And the disciples are shocked. They're so busy eating. Jesus says, while you've been eating and chilling, I've been talking to one woman, a most unlikely person, a messed up female Samaritan. And guess what? She was the key to the whole city. Come on. They probably came and said, there can be no harvest here. Check these people. They're half Jew, half Samaritan. Let's go get food. 
Jesus sits down and has a chat, and it's the key to a whole city. What do you think about the place you work, your family? Do you realize how open that you need to discover that people are more open than you think? And even though on Twitter and Instagram people are negative, if we preach the truth and we present Jesus, you'd be amazed. This woman, a mess, an outcast, is saved, and then a whole city is saved. And not only is the city saved, they discover him as the savior of the world. The disciples have a small view. Oh, no, one's, no one will get saved here. But the people who got saved through the woman realize he's the savior of the world. We've got to change our perspective. Charles Spurgeon said this, the church is a soul-saving company or it is nothing. We need to be reaching people, church. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. As we come to a close this morning, you know, every one of us needs to go on a journey of discovery with God. I don't know where you are today. You might just see him as a Jewish man. Maybe you've discovered him as Messiah, but there's a journey that we need to go on where we need to discover him and, and the satisfaction of serving him. Have you discovered that today? Maybe you need to sign up when you leave the meeting. Maybe you need to discover, hey, hang on a minute. The people that live next door to me are actually open to Jesus, if I would just have a conversation. Don't walk in there and say, oh, I just want to tell you that what you're doing is wrong. <laughs> Notice you were smoking a hubbly bubbly in your, on your balcony there, and I just, you know, you're going to hell. No, 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 no. Just sit down and, you know, I, I used to, if it was me, I'd, I used to smoke that. Oh, really? You? Pastor? Yeah. But I found it didn't satisfy. It just clouded my brain, made me dull, gave me the munchies. But I discovered Jesus. You see, you need, to, you need to have a discovery so that others can have a discovery. And that discovery leads to satisfaction. She had a conversion and discovery that led to satisfaction. Jesus taught the disciples the satisfaction of serving and a whole city comes to Christ through a testimony. What if you've got a hole in your soul today that you're filling with things? Most of us do that. We don't even realize it. I find as you get older, you become more aware of it. But you can stuff it with people. Yeah, I just need another man. You know, my last husband, he was a real dog. But this one, <laughs> baby, she had six. Come on. Liz Taylor had eight. There's nothing that can fill your soul like Jesus can. Don't try and fill the hole in your soul with anyone but Jesus because only Jesus satisfies. In a moment, I'm going to pray with you, but I want to tell you something fascinating that most of you would know. In 1965, the Rolling Stones brought out a single, and uh, the single was called I Can Get No Satisfaction. I can get no Fifty years later, most of the people in this room still know the song. They say it was the third best song written in 1965, and it sold one million copies, went to the top, was the first top-selling Rolling Stones record in the USA, and Rolling Stone magazine placed the song in second spot on its list of the 500 greatest songs of all time. Yet, Keith Richards played that tune on his guitar while he was drunk and he fell asleep and you can hear him snoring on the tape. 
it's got a three-note riff that is it's, it's, it's simple. But why has it been so popular? Because even though it's a three-note riff, it struck a chord in the heart of every person because we can't find satisfaction in ordinary water, people, or material things. And Jesus comes to reveal himself that we might be truly satisfied, that we might share that true satisfaction with others, that I might discover it. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message.